0: cliffcentral.com
1: Hello and a very good welcome to another in conference with Michael Jackson right here on your favorite global podcast community platform. This is cliffcentral.com and this is the show where you get to meet the people I'm lucky enough to meet on my world of conference travels. Um, I've done about 190 conferences this year so far. I don't think I'm ever going to run out of guests cuz everybody wants to be on the show. It seems although I'm particularly delighted to tell you that my guest on this podcast is nothing short of a living legend. And I say that this is radio. I want you to imagine me now on my knees, prostrate in front of the microphone, <laughs> bowing down to the one and only you can hear him chuckling in the background. The man United legend. That is Gary Bailey. Gee, hey, Gary.
0: Michael. So good to chat to you. I'm oh. to hear you're still a big United fan after all these years.
1: My blood still runs red and always shall do. Um, You know, Gary, you're a conference speaker now around the world. You're a Manchester United ambassador. I mean, I've got to think back, though. I was a student in the UK, a young 19 or 20-year-old. I think it was 1970, 71, somewhere around there. And Alex Stepney had been the United goalkeeper. And I'd stood like everybody else on the terraces at Old Trafford, watching United. And all of a sudden, we had this announcement that this new young kid, Gary Bailey, had been signed. And everyone went oh my God, who's he? And then rapidly, you carved out a legend where I believe even the great Peter Schmeichel has said you're one of the best goalkeepers he's ever seen in his life. That's an amazing Yeah,
0: thing. He, actually said, he actually said I was his, um, his hero. And I think the main reason for that is he's blonde and tall. I'm a blonde and tall. So, and he's about four or five years younger than me. So when I first ah. got in the team, I was, <laughs> I was his sort of hero at the time. But yeah, what you refer to 1978 in Manchester, Alex Stepney broke his arm. Um, they wanted a they wanted to sign a keeper that fell through. They wanted to borrow a keeper they couldn't, and in desperation the manager said, "Look, you've all what we, we've got left. <laughs> You're playing tomorrow," and um, that was how I made my debut. And, and sort of from then onwards, didn't seem to put much of a foot wrong. Stayed in the team and and had nine wonderful years with the greatest club in the world, in my opinion, by a long, long way. Oh, without a um, doubt. It's such a privilege, you know, coming from Joburg, playing my soccer. Um, down in the south there at Rosettenville and then down in Cape Town for Cape Town City where my dad was manager. You know, to have to have dreamt of, of even playing for a top South African team was already hugely exciting. But the ultimate ultimate dream was Man United who had George Best when I was growing up and England who who you know, I was born in England and my dad never got to play for the national team. He came very close as a professional player. So I had two overriding in unattainable dreams as a kid, Man United in England. And the fact that I actually managed to tick those off still to this day blows my mind. I mean, it's uh, it's a long way from the, the pictures of Pioneer Park in Rosettenville to Old Trafford.
1: <laughs> wow. Now, you came to South Africa pretty early as a child, didn't you?
0: Yeah, no, we came at about six years of age. So, I mean, I'm basically South African in the sense that um, I grew up there and I see myself as South African. Uh, But obviously I was entitled to play for England, uh, you know, due to my birth.
1: Wow. And you're currently living in Florida of all places, not Florida in Johannesburg near (laughs) Rosettenville, but Florida (laughs) in the U.S. of A.
0: Yeah, we moved two and a half years ago. My kids wanted to study abroad. One of them was already studying abroad. The others wanted to follow. And I, I just thought, you know what, either I go with them or I end up sitting in Joburg trying to be in contact with my kids and not being close to grandkids. And I just thought, no, that's not what life's about. Life's about family. And and so we made the decision. We were lucky to get a green card, um, you know, through what I could do through soccer. Um, and we moved here, and we love it. I mean, it's um, yeah, we miss South Africa, of course. Or we miss, you know, being in, in Joburg and in Cape Town. But uh, life here is unbelievable, um, and the kids love it, and they've got a great future. They can study what they want, where they want, when they want. And we lived right near the sea in Florida. So, you know, we can't complain. I think we've, uh, it's, it's, it's a long way from Jobo, but I can promise you it's 10 times better than anything Manchester has to offer weather-wise.
1: <laughs> oh, as long as you only say weather-wise. Um, I'm intrigued by this as well, because my last week's guest, your wife, Michelle McLean Bailey. And she verified some of this stuff because I didn't want to tell you about it, but I say I was going to check with you about some of the things that she'd said. Um, but I want to ask you a different question, though. I mean, she's in Namibia doing her stuff at the moment, going to be joining you back home in Florida soon. And the two stories verify, by the way, just for people who missed last week's podcast. And if you haven't heard it, go and download it. But, I mean, let me ask you a question, Gary. You, you're, As you say, Peter Michael says you're a good-looking lad. I, I wouldn't quite go that far, but you're a Man United... <laughs> You were a Man United and England former goalkeeper, 300 appearances in the Football League. One of the luckiest men in the world to get that break. Then you married a former Miss Universe. I mean, God, can you give me the lottery ticket numbers for Saturday, please?
0: (laughs) I think she fell for that line. She'd heard that Ronaldo was worth the fortune. And she thought all soccer players were. So she didn't check my bank account first. I think she's a bit disappointed now. She knows the whole truth.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Smart move, though. And look, I mean, you know, back playing in the, the late 70s in the UK, as you did for the beginning of your career, it was a totally different world to the Premier League of today in terms of financial reward, wasn't it?
0: Oh, huge. No, no, but, but totally different in, in every respect. As a young kid of, of 17, 18, you had to polish the, the first teamers' boots. You had to clean up the uh, locker room, the dressing room. Um, you know, you did some hard time, and even when you made it into the first team, they they, they push and shove you, and, and they, they sort of make you grab very quickly. Um, the, the day I made my debut, BBC TV called me to go and speak to them, which in those days there only were a couple of TV stations, so when you were on BBC, after the game, the entire country was going to watch you. And, um, and, the, and the manager said, quickly, put on your suit and go upstairs. So I put on my suit, went to put on my tie, found they cut my tie in half oh so so i had to go on tv to quickly borrow the manager's tie and try and get on tv and then i put my socks on they cut those in half so i couldn't wear socks and and they you know they just gave you a hard time you didn't make money until you were one of the really seasoned pros it was 25 before i had a really good contract nowadays they're signing kids of 16 on five-year contracts that make them a a pound millionaire before they even play for the first team. And these kids rock up to training in in Ferraris and Lamborghinis, and they never have to go through the hard stuff we did. Now, whether that's good or bad is for anyone to make their mind up, but it certainly has changed massively. And um, it's one of the biggest problems the the managers face these days is getting young kids to actually get hungry about their future and, and about their potential.
1: Wow. What was the first car you were driving when you got signed at United? Did you have a car?
0: I did. Funny enough, I had a six-wheeler van, and uh, <laughs> I looked like one of those uh, uh, you know, delivery guys. And the reason I bought it was I didn't think I'd make it. I mean, there were so many good goalkeepers at the club at the time. And I was going to tour Europe before coming back to Wits and continuing my studies. So I bought this van so I could sleep in the back and drive it around Europe. Oh. And I went from being in the third team, you know, living on dreams, to suddenly in the reserves, to suddenly in the first team, and uh, the morning after my or the Monday after my debut, the manager called me in and said, look, you know, you're wearing a Vitz T-shirt with a middle finger sticking up, uh, which is what our T-shirt was for that particular year <laughs> right. and some old jeans and you're driving a six wheel vehicle. He said, you've got to get rid of all this. And he gave me um, an open check to go into town and buy any car I wanted within reason. And he told me to go to a clothing shop of a friend of his who had Italian clothes and buy whatever I wanted and the club would pay. So how, how was that for a sudden change? Huh?
1: My God, life-changing. But I mean, you know, you're you're one of those people who never let any of that go to your head, and I guess that's why we're talking today. Uh, not just because you're a legend, but you've translated your post-football career. Although you're still the Manchester United ambassador around the world, of which I'm incredibly envious. But you've translated your career into something totally meaningful. You know, people in South Africa who are in Cliff Central's home will will know that you're a legend from television. You're a media personality. I mean, your wedding got cut. It in, a, in a glossy magazine, for goodness sakes, and deservedly so. Um, but you're a successful business person in your own right. Is that because you learned from your experiences, Gary? And for the benefit of people who don't know you listening to our podcast, tell me more about what Gary and, and Michelle are doing today in terms of business.
0: Yeah, just to go back to the previous question. When I was playing, um, I watched my dad. And even before that, when I was a kid, my dad was a soccer player. Never had the chance to go to school because you leave you leave school early to go play soccer. You join the club at 14. That's how it used to be and for many kids still is. He never had an education. When he finished football, all he could do was football. So he managed southern suburbs in the south. Then he managed Cape Town City. Then he managed the South African national team. And it was always difficult to get jobs. There was you know hundreds of ex-footballers and a handful of jobs. And they mm. were always scrambling over each other for a living. And my dad said to me, Gary, please make me one promise. Don't ever... Uh, become a football manager this is not this is a tough life and it's a a, you know it's a dog eat dog life he said you're more than that go and get degrees and always be flexible and have your own business and I I listened to him I did my physics degree which was any degree you could do part-time in Manchester I did it while I was playing um, which I think to be fair is one of the few players ever to have done it while they're actually playing for a for a top side, wow. Um, so that was tough, you know. I wrote, I wrote exams on end-of-season tours and all sorts of things, but I got it done. And ever since then, I've, I've sort of put the ego aside and thought, I can't live off what I did many years ago. I've got to reinvent myself. So initially, it was um, radio, 702 Radio, back in the old days with John Robbie and Chris Gibbons and John yep. Burks. Yeah, getting up at four in the morning and you know mumbling to myself that as a soccer superstar, I shouldn't be doing this, but Got it done, did it for four years, uh, trained the voice, got into media, went into super sport, loved that for 25 years. Super sport was absolutely phenomenal, and we had massive growth, and started to do talks as well because um, people wanted to hear my story, and then afterwards, I realized it's a fantastic profession to be in. You you work with guys and, and women who are all trying to change the world in some way, and often for the better, mm. and I love that environment, and so even today, I still work on TV in Miami, uh, doing soccer, Mish and I do talks around the world, and I make sure that at all moments I've, I'm doing more than one job, one skill. So that if one skill closes down, I just focus more on the other, and that's that's always been my mantra. And to actually talk with Mish, she's a she's an amazing person. What she achieved as a, a 19-year-old Namibian winning Miss Universe is not just the beauty aspect; it's the pressure she she managed so so eloquently and so well. And the way she has kept her feet on the ground and we just love going to big events and talking and showing people that the skills that we've used, uh, we call them the five great principles, things like gratitude and reframing and uh, the words you use, all these things help you cope with pressure, help you lessen pressure. And we just love speaking to audiences and helping them become more successful.
1: The website that Michelle gave us uh, in last week's podcast, uh, which is still available as always, as this will be at any time on the Cliff Central platform, she said people are going to uh, uh, on the web successunderpressure.com. And that's your joint venture. Is it the two of you working on that now?
0: Yes, yes. And we've been doing that for a while. In fact, we've been asked recently to do workshops. So a big Canadian company um, are using us now to to do this to the public and to companies um, over the web. This sort of webinar is catching on in a big way that people don't necessarily need you to come to their, their office. They they just click on the net and join you. Um, and they, they, they want us to help more and more people cope with pressure. It seems to be the issue at the moment. Um, Everyone's under pressure for all 101 various reasons. Finances are tight. Competition's at its highest. And so we're finding that there's a big, big demand for us to not just do keynotes, but training and helping people and coaching. And uh, we're getting busier and busier, and that's exciting that we can do it together. We were, in fact, in Mauritius last month for a big company there. And it's wonderful when you can travel with your wife, and, um, you know, we're together traveling, we're together speaking, we're together with clients. And it doesn't make it as difficult. It makes it a lot of fun.
1: I love that. And as you say, with the kids at university or moving on with their with their own lives, that's a pretty cool thing for you to do as well. You obviously are coming in and out of South Africa, though, so we haven't lost you in this part of the world forever, have we?
0: Not at all. We were there um, last week after the Mauritius trip. Um, we swung by to see friends and uh, popped into Supersport to say hi to Neil and Terry and Sean Bartlett, Andrew Aronson, the guys. Um, and Mish is still in Namibia now, and we'll come back uh, via Joburg. So, yeah we 'd love to still remain part of the South African scene and, and to help companies there as well. Um, we just feel that whatever we 've got um, it just it 's vital and South Africa probably is under as much pressure as any country. you know when we speak to people they 're all you know whether it 's the politics or whether it 's just the, the sort of a difficulty of the, of the weakness of the rand everyone 's dealing with issues, and those issues pile up, and if you don 't handle them in a in a sensible, comfortable, correct way then you're in trouble. A lot of people, Michael, are turning mm. to antidepressants and things like that, and that's just not the way to go. Um, here in the U.S., we've had a 400% rise in over-the-table uh, pills to help people uh, deal with pressure, and that's, that's not a long-term sustainable solution. So people have to find a more natural way, and our way is totally natural, and extremely healthy and, and long-lasting.
1: And that's a brilliant thing to, to say in closing that, you know, Gary Bailey and Michelle McLean Bailey, if you want to look at anyone who's dealt under pressure from a very young age with everything that they've done, I think it's well worthwhile going onto the web right now and looking for successunderpressure.com where you'll find out more about what the two of them are doing. I'm glad we haven't lost you, Gary. We've got about 15 seconds before my time is up in the studio. But thank you. It's an honor, Mr. Bailey. Sir Bailey, you ought to be in my mind. Um, Gary Bailey, living legend. Thank you for being with us on the program.
0: Before, Before you go, one last thing, Michael. Sing with me. He shoots. He'll he scores. Score. He'll eat, eat your eat Labrador.
1: Jisung Park. <laughs> you see, once a Man United fan, always a Man United fan. I love it. Gary, it's been a pleasure, my friend. All the very best. I hope to see you in the real world soon as well. Likewise.
0: And Likewise. that's <laughs>
1: Cliff Central in conference with Michael Jackson. Thank you for being with us from me and Gary Bailey. Bye-bye.
0: Cliffcentral.com.